Welcome back to our mini-series of the Mercy and Mum podcast, My Motherhood. This year, we're championing women on their own unique journeys with motherhood, highlighting and celebrating their different and incomparable experiences on being a mother and what it means to each individual. Join me, Eve Langhorn, as I speak to four amazing women and explore their completely unique journeys to motherhood. So today we are joined by Sally Darby, founder of Mums Like Us, which is a safe space for disabled mothers. So Sally started the Facebook group and website back in 2017, and today she joins us to chat about this and her own experiences of being a disabled mother. So hi, Sally. Thank you so much for joining us today. How are you doing at the moment? Yeah, we're all good. Thank you. Yeah, all all fine, ticking along. Um, Good, good. Yeah, we've had a couple of uh, family birthdays in the last week so it all feels a bit celebratory at the moment but we'll have to get back into reality soon enough. <laughs> yeah definitely so we're speaking about a few different topics today so I just wanted to know could you start by telling us a little bit about yourself? Yep sure so um, I'm Sally I'm 38 I live in the Midlands Sun Coalfield with my husband and my two daughters who are Alice who is eight and Lucy who is uh, four we well I suppose the reason why I'm on here is to talk about the disability thing and I um, have got multiple sclerosis which I developed when well I was diagnosed in 2011 I'm also um, severely visually impaired and I was diagnosed with that in 2008 when I was 26 so yeah it's been a good few years now of living with disability and then my first daughter was born in 2013 so I was started the motherhood thing after I'd lived a few years with the disabled thing. <laughs> and um, as we spoke a little bit before like this year we're really focusing as a brand on celebrating all journeys of motherhood and yep. this podcast we're using as a voice to share journeys so what's your sort of journey of motherhood and your experience of being a mother? Um, so I met the person who's now my husband when we were 21 whippersnappers and then it was uh 2012 yeah shortly after we got married so we got married in 2011 and then we started the whole conversation about it really and there was it wasn't an easy decision I was worried about the things that that I live with that could potentially be genetic as it turned out after we had we had amazing support from consultants and the NHS in general were amazing throughout the whole thing. But my MS team at the Queen Elizabeth in Birmingham were really helpful with making that decision. And um, we looked into it at, at great length and eventually decided that we would. You know, I was always quite a maternal, I always imagined children in my future. And so I really didn't want to not do it, but we obviously had to think about it carefully and um, at that time I wasn't actually on any medication my symptoms were apart from the visual impairment which has been the same from from the word go my MS symptoms weren't that severe and so I wasn't on any medication so it was fairly simple in terms of getting pregnant I miscarried but that was nothing to do with my disability that's you know as we all know just far too common and then shortly after that I got pregnant with my first And yeah, it was fine. I mean, I didn't take to pregnancy like a duck to water as I'd kind of, I hoped I would be a real earth mother and that (laughs) that wasn't quite me. Um, (laughs) I didn't love it. I think it's fair to say, but it was fine and I got through it fine. And uh, I was advised to have cesareans. A big symptom of my MS is fatigue. Like I get in the evenings, I just hit a wall and I can't, I just can't keep going. It's 
quite difficult to explain how when that hits you it's difficult to keep moving and so they were really worried that I would go through labor and then not physically be able to recover as quickly as if I um, had the cesarean section and to be honest I was completely fine with that so yeah I had her in January of 2013 and it was after that that I had it was the first six months after she was born were really tough this it was around the six month mark that I had my first big MS relapse and then that was when I went on some really quite um, intense medication again it was fine you know it, it wasn't a big problem but I had to go for monthly infusions at the hospital from then on for quite a long time and from then that point that was when my mobility became much more affected and and I became less able to present as somebody that wasn't disabled as I had been able to prior to that. Yeah and and with your MS what sort of the diagnosis journey with that and sort of how have your symptoms changed over the years? So it was quite, they found it quite difficult to diagnose because a lot of times when people have MS, they get optic neuritis, which is what causes my um, visual impairment, but it comes in waves and then it it gets better and then worse and better and worse. Mine got bad literally overnight. I used to be a secondary school teacher. I was at work and literally just, I suddenly couldn't look at my screen. I couldn't read. It was just, it was very scary. Yeah. Yeah, I Um, can imagine. Yeah, and they they didn't really know why. And so at that point, this was at the um, eye hospital in Birmingham, I had to do loads of scans and loads of tests because they thought I might have a brain tumour, which at the time was terrifying. Like, I can't even explain how scared I was. I really thought I was going to die. But in the years since being told I haven't got a brain tumour was such intense relief that everything that has come since has just been, well, it's not, it's not a brain tumor. Like it's a life sentence. It's not a death sentence. I am going to live with this forever, but I'm not going to touch word. You know, most people now medication is such that you don't die of MS. You might die. um, Sorry, this is really morbid, but you might die with associated complications, but Mm -hmm. it's not the way it used to be. And so I'm much more, you know, I feel like I'm much more able to deal with what's been thrown at me since then because I had that kind of worst case scenario presented to me at the beginning and thankfully it wasn't the worst case scenario. So then it was a few, a couple of years later that I got diagnosed with MS. They really didn't know. I had to see lots of different specialists all over the country. But it was, it came, eventually it was sort of numbness and tingling in my lower legs and I think those were, that was the main thing. And then there was there was more diagnostic tests and I had to have a lumbar puncture and things like that. And that was after that, that they decided that it was MS, but they were always like, it's atypical. It's not your standard MS. Um, and MS anyway is so varied. Yeah. Even within that, they call me atypical. But, but there's so many yeah. different broad <laughs> complications within MS that you can sort of have. Exactly. It can almost do anything to you. It can almost affect any part of your body. And so that, that's the kind of thing. One of the things that I find hard living with it is you, you'll get a twinge in a pe- or something like that. And you think, well, is it MS or is this something that I should be worried about? Because almost anything can come down to MS. Almost anything. Yeah. But you, you obviously always have to be thinking, well, it might not be MS. So 
it's quite difficult to kind of um, live with your health when you know, you don't really know what what's the cause of anything that's happening. And when you um, you and your partner you know decided to make that decision that you were going to start a family, did mm-hmm. you receive judgment outside of you and him? I think it's it's interesting that you say outside of me and him. I think a lot of my judgment came from within myself. I was very um, self-critical. Um, I was really unsure what other people would think. Like I've always been really bad for worrying about what other people think of me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was really aware or I thought I was really aware of what other people thought. I think that um, I never had anybody. The medical professional were amazing. The medical professionals were all brilliant. And I never had anybody say anything to me outright about my decision to have a child. But I think just the way that the parenting sort of mainstream is set up mm-hmm. is not inclusive of disabled parents. And there is so still now so little visibility. But then, as far as I was aware, there was no visibility of disabled parents. You know, you'd walk into mother care. I remember going into sorry I probably shouldn't say brands I remember no no it's fine don't worry (laughs) okay um and buying a pram and having like specific requirements about the kind of pram that I wanted and just no one seemed to have even ever considered the possibility that a disabled woman might want to have children and there just seems so little awareness and that feels judgmental yeah and that seems also crazy in this day and age living in the UK that there's there's not that available and so going aside from that, what are sort of the main difficulties you've faced in your life due to your disability? I think that sort of on the practical level, um, after my eyes went, I obviously had to send back my driving licence, um, which for me is quite, a, it's still the, the biggest barrier to me being able to do everything that I'd like to do. Like I mm. feel like I've learned to live with my mobility. I use a walking stick. I sometimes use a mobility scooter. I'm quite good at, dealing with that but not being able to just go in a car (laughs) is so frustrating and um always having to rely on lifts or always having to rely on taxis and particularly in this last year when those things haven't been so much of an option that's the biggest that feels to me like the most disabling part of my disability but certainly when the girls were really small things like getting them the things I worried about when I was pregnant with the first were things like getting them up and down the stairs and that is you know it is a significant worry and there's very little support out there to help people who are pregnant and worrying about those things learn or, or work out how they're going to do it so that they're not spending the whole of their pregnancy panicking about it and so those things were problems at the time but my experience is that and I, I know it's the case with all parenting but when you've got additional challenges as well is that you um, develop ways of dealing with those challenges as and when they crop up and actually months of worrying doesn't really do you any favors at all and when you've got to get your kid down the stairs you work out that oh if I hold on to them on my lap and bump down the stairs and that's actually fine or you need to do and you work out your little strategies and techniques to to make sure that you're safe so yeah, practically those are the kind of things that are the difficulties. But I think for me, the much bigger challenge, certainly when the when my first was young, is that just feeling of isolation and feeling I was mentally, I wasn't, I wasn't in a bad way in terms of 
I don't think it was related to pregnancy. I don't think I had postnatal depression or anything like that. But mm. I, was, I found it very difficult feeling very lonely and feeling like I was really the only person who was parenting under these circumstances. I know now that that's obviously not true, but I did feel very... I had like a lot of internal anguish <laughs> going on at that time. I was quite angry yeah. about the situation that I was in, but I didn't, I didn't have the words to articulate that. And I didn't have anything or anyone to be angry with. I just found it very frustrating, and very difficult. So, or like a, a support group with, with mums who are also in the same situation. Yeah, well, exactly. Yeah, there is, I, did, I didn't know anybody who was in the same situation anybody yeah. who was in who ever had been in an even vaguely similar situation and so I you know I'm really lucky I've got loads of great friends and they were all really supportive and continue to be really supportive but it's not quite the same as being able to talk to somebody even virtually who gets it who's been in the yeah. same sort of situation who can relate back to you and yeah. I know you mentioned that you started group mums like us and it's a safe place for disabled mums to have all kinds of discussions. And I'm sure this has helped many women. And what sort of led you to start the group and, and why did you choose to start it? It was um, the year after my second daughter had been born. So I left it quite a while. And I was at the Women of the World Festival at the South Bank in London with some friends. And I went to a, um, a talk that was led by the Sisters of Frida, who are a disabled women's collective. They're amazing. And um, they were talking about activism. And was a few of them mentioned that they were parents. And I was just blown away. I was like, oh, my gosh, it's disabled mothers. I need to speak to these people. And I'm not the type of person, or at least I wasn't the type of person that would ever have put my hand up in something like that. I tend to sit at the back and just listen. But I was on my own at this talk and I put my hand up and I asked them if they knew of any organizations that helped um, or that were community for disabled parents. And it still kind of mortifies me because I started crying, which I didn't know that that was in me but I was just like I just feel so lonely and no so judged and like there's no one out there who I can talk to and their answer was no basically they were like Gosh. there used to be this organization there used to be this organization they lost their funding they're in America in this country basically no and I just couldn't believe that I'd finally had my my chance to ask people who might know and they didn't know and there wasn't anything and I was just so gutted and so I sat in the bar in the South Bank with my sister and my friend afterwards. And I was just like, I just don't think I can move on from that without doing maybe something. And so I sort mm -hmm. of mulled it over for a while. And then I started the Facebook group, which isn't, you know, it's not absolutely enormous. It, I think it's got about, I looked this morning, I did write it down. I think it's got 800 and I can't even see where I wrote it down. It's 850 odd members. But obviously, it's been going for a while, so it's not. And like that's it's an that's still a, a reasonable amount, you know, considering you started from nothing and you said you didn't know any other mums, you know, with disabilities. Yes, yeah. and I'm really strict about it. Like the um, entrance, I only let in women, which has caused a little bit of people who identify as mothers is what I've put on the thing. But I don't. I do really want women to feel safe talking about the aspects of disability that can feel humiliating and embarrassing and I don't want those women to feel like they can't talk about those things and I want people yeah. to be able to talk about birth and I just want them to feel really comfortable and safe and so whenever I've had anyone say anything about I'm a disabled dad I'm like, well set up dads like us I'm all behind it I totally yeah. support it but I'm not gonna 
I'm not going to break this about mums like us because I do think it needs to be for mums. That's not always gone down well, but I'm just kind of sticking to it. Now with it being the size that it is, you can join with almost any disability and find someone who has the same disability as you or if not the same disability as you the same experiences in terms of worrying about lifting up your baby from the floor or being able to plug in your car seat or get your baby into your car or whatever you know and it's not just parents of babies it's there's mums of um, adult children in there as well so there's that community and that enables people to be able to um, ask questions but also just support each other and not feel judged I think people are really worried a lot of people are really worried about saying out loud I'm worried about how I'm going to do this with my baby or I'm or I'm trying to work out how to do this safely because people don't want a lot of people are scared that other people will think well you shouldn't be doing this then if you can't if you can't safely do this then you shouldn't be doing it at all whereas actually that's not what we need they need the support to work out how they can safely do it it's the same as any other mother and do you find sometimes public reactions can almost be a little bit patronizing in a way as well yeah (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah I think they can be again I don't think people necessarily mean to be but I think that people can be a bit pitying um which isn't helpful I think disability is in a wider sense gets viewed either and this is a generalization but I think that people view it either as you're a sort of superhuman Paralympian and they think oh well, if you know if you if you get uh, uh, un, if you're unfortunate enough to be disabled then you should be able to channel that unfortunate situation into being a Paralympian or something you know, we're not most people aren't like that most people aren't physically extremely able to do things like that so I think we get that image on one end of the spectrum and then on the other end of the spectrum we get the image of the sort of in inverted commas benefit scrounger person sitting at home unable to do anything not not making anything of their life not making any effort and both of those um extremes are so unhelpful for the way that disabled people are viewed in this society which is yeah completely functioning parents working adults and it's so damaging to that image to have these these two extremes but then you know it is the case that I'm sorry if I'm going on about this no no it's really interesting to listen to don't worry it is the case that you know you're you're far more likely to live in poverty if you're disabled you're far more likely if, if one member of your household is disabled you're far more likely to live in poverty and so it's so uh, the inequality is still such a, a big problem and yeah. so that comes from i think partly the societal image of what disability is and so a lot of that manifests in people being patronizing or people thinking that they can ask you all sorts of questions or being very pitying when actually yeah, or making assumptions yeah and vast the vast majority of people aren't like that like the vast majority of people are just decent and nice and normal you know yeah and that's the case with every every margin every marginalized community most people are decent about it but there are these sort of microaggressions that people don't some people don't realize they're doing that you know, even just a that stare or it can add up and yeah I can imagine and what do you think needs to change in society or like what needs to be changed in the future 
I think there's sort of two sides to this, really. In terms of what I was just going on about with the societal image of they are connected. The one side of it is that we need to have disabled people at the top of organisations. So in parenting, we're not going to have accessible cots available on the high street until we've got disabled people working in the on the boards of these mm-hmm. big companies because we're not consi- our needs aren't considered and that's fair enough in that we are a smaller group of parents but we are still there and our needs still need to be met and even within disability um, products for disabled people are a huge market huge but yet disabled parents seem to be largely forgotten even within that massive business and so it seems to me that we need to have disabled people working for these companies to make sure that those products are provided. A lot of the products on my website are products that are made for parents of twins or triplets multiples because they're made to be so you can use them one handed or you can use them, you know, while you've got loads of other things going on. And those things mm-hmm. are then useful for disabled parents, but they're not marketed at disabled parents. So it's a constant challenge to be finding the things that you need. And that links in with visibility in general. Um, The image of motherhood that you see on Instagram and in social media in general, but then also just in the general wider media is, you know, very white, middle class, um, non-disabled. You know, it's not diverse at all. And I know Mm -hmm. that people are trying to change that and that's great, but I think that really needs to change. Um, And I think like... On a societal level, I think that we have a situation in this country where we think that health is a virtue and we admire and respect people who are healthy. And I'm not saying that those people don't deserve our respect and that we shouldn't all try and be as healthy as we can be. But very often your health is is luck and good fortune and bad health can and probably will happen to most of us at some point. And so I, I hear constantly people saying things like oh well as long as they're healthy and as long as you've got your health and and you know you hear people saying about parenting um as long as you can run around with the kids and as long as as long as you're you're able to do you know be be a good parent because you're healthy and I find it it really um hits me because I'm like yeah it's it's the two linking of the words with good parent and health that's wrong in that sentence because you don't have to have good health to be a good parent exactly but you hear you would be surprised how often you hear it from people who are completely well-meaning but they don't realize how that hits somebody who's not healthy and who is a parent and I also think it for children you always hear about babies being born well as long as they're healthy I just think well what does that mean for the parent who's just had a baby who's not healthy like that takes away from the value of that baby do you know what I mean I think that generally in society we don't value or we 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 put too much value on health and we Mm -hmm. we link it to being good in some way think of it as a virtue and it's not and I think that that needs to change as well so that we can view disabled people people with long-term health conditions people with any health conditions as equal to the rest of society yeah I completely agree and are your girls are they aware of your conditions uh, the older one definitely is um the younger one yeah yeah she is I mean I haven't she's only four I haven't sort of 
had long conversations with her about it, but it's all she's ever known. And it's all, it's all that the older one's ever known either. But the older one uh, is much more conscious of it, I think. Um, and I think in many ways it's made them, it will impact them. And it, it will present them with certain challenges throughout their life. And I'm aware mm -hmm. of that. But I think that it will also give them a certain level of empathy and understanding. Definitely. definitely. Yeah. It'll and make like them, that. and it sounds awful to say, but it will make them more open and well-rounded in future. And I hope so. Yeah, 100%. So what does motherhood mean to you? It's a big um, question. <laughs> It is a big question. I think that I, I retired from my job. I took ill health retirement from my job as a secondary school teacher in 2018. Um, and I'd been a teacher for a really long time. And that was a massive part of my identity. It was a massive part of who I was. I loved my job. Um, and I've had to stop myself from using the word just about motherhood since I stopped being a teacher I'm just a mother I'm just a stay-at-home mother mm -hmm. I don't believe that but I find the words tripping out of my mouth before I've stopped them I don't think I'm just a mother but I think that I am primarily a mother now and it um I always was primarily a mother but that that's where all of my work ethic is now challenge channeled that's where I don't want my kids to think that mum didn't do stuff just because I'm not at work and so I work really hard to to like give them really good experiences and even in lockdown you know I work really hard at mothering <laughs> I, yeah I try and do it in a really in in the best way that I can um, and I I think that I hope that that will show them that I've, I'm still trying really hard to to be the best version of myself that I can be although I'm not going out to work today you know I do I'm doing other things and I work really hard to try and stay as physically strong as I can and everything that I do is ultimately about them yeah and I, also I obviously you've got mums like us as well so you're campaigning and you know you're doing the right yeah. thing and trying to spread as much awareness as you as you can on on disabled mums which is absolutely amazing yeah and yeah. who do you who do you look up to in life that's a big think, question as well <laughs> yeah no it is I liked this one though it got me thinking I try really hard not to I'm not interested in celebrity I've never well maybe I have been but I'm not anymore I'm not really interested in looking up to anybody famous I try not to compare myself to other people um so the people who I look up to are not people that I in any way hope to emulate but I think ultimately it's um friends and family you know and I I really admire the people who I'm lucky enough to have around me I tried to think of an example and speaking to my husband about this last night I think my best example is one of my closest friends works in London as a medical uh, mental health nurse um for the NHS and when I speak to her I'm just blown away by the work that she does day in day out and how hard she works and what an impact that works has on um on other people in their lives mm. and so I'm inspired by her I don't ever expect or hope to be like her but I look up to her and I admire her and I'd say that's the case for many many of my friends and my sister and my family as well yeah no that's a, that's a really nice answer I like how you didn't use a, a celeb actually <laughs> 
And my final question for the podcast, and this has actually flown by just listening to you today. What is the main mantra you live your life by and why? Okay. Um, right. So I'm not sure if this is a mantra. Mantras feel like to me like they should be quite snappy. <laughs> this is a bit um, convoluted. But or I'll a try quote. To keep... That's fine. <laughs> what it is, is that I... I try and remind myself very often that life is it's long and it's hard. You know, if we're lucky, it's long and it's almost always hard and people make mistakes and things don't always, everybody makes mistakes and things don't always turn out the way that we um, dreamt they would or that we imagined they would. So I'm always trying to remind myself to forgive myself for the things that don't go right, forgive other mm-hmm. people and forgive whatever the universe <laughs> for for the things that happen to you and just try and look forward and not look side to side at, at what other people are doing um and yeah stay as positive as you can that's for me that works for me I'm not saying no and I think that, that works for a lot of people that don't try not to compare yourself to, to mm. others in life um Sally you've been amazing that has been an amazing podcast and I'm sure that's been really really interesting and really insightful to a lot of our listeners and also just to hear another side of motherhood that I don't think we've had on this podcast before so thank you so much and we'll put some links below to your mums like us groups as well if any of our listeners want to go check that out or the Instagram but yeah thank you so much for joining us today thank you so much cheers and if you enjoyed this episode don't forget to leave us a review